Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. This is episode number 56 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds sexily talk about <laughs> Stargate. <laughs> Alright. It's open line night tonight. We're talking about, uh, whatever. We'll see what comes up. But first, we have lots of Stargate news and Gate World site features to go over, including a preview of a brand new interview with Stargate SG-1. Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe co-creator Brad Wright. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for August 19th, 2009. Executive producer Robert C. Cooper is on the record talking about the delay to the Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis DVD movies. We are all eagerly awaiting the third movie for SG-1 and the first movie for Atlantis, Last thing we heard was that MGM had given the SG-1 film a green light, and we just were waiting to find out when they were going to film it. Maybe they're going to film it this fall after Universe is over. They finished shooting in October, so that may still be the case, but uh, here's what Cooper said in an interview with Sci-Fi Wire. He said, we're ready to go. We're just waiting for the right opportunity. We want to be successful with it. The studio wants to be successful, and we really don't want to proceed with something in the wrong climate which I mm-hmm. think financially it is right now. Basically, mm-hmm. the, the DVD market is is soft. It's not what it was even a year ago when Continuum and Arc of Truth were released. When we talked to Brad and Rob in Vancouver in April this year, one of the comments that Brad made that stood out to me was Continuum and Arc of Truth were really successful when they were released, but... doesn't necessarily matter. A lot has happened since then. I mean, yeah. there's a major worldwide economic crisis that started around September when the, when the U.S. market started going hinky so uh their mgm it sounds like is is sort of putting the brakes on and waiting for the the market to suss itself out before they commit the money to this i find that very interesting because when money is tight right now i notice people go out less and less which means they stay in more and more which means they sit on their asses in front of their tvs more which means they must have things to buy and things to rent i i just don't understand i think this will be a fruitful time for home entertainment so i don't know yeah, and I don't know what the numbers actually are for DVD sales. As far as we know, we haven't really tracked it, but as far as we know, the the releases of Season 5 of Atlantis and other things that Fox has been putting out have been doing well. Children of the Gods has done well. Brad yeah. will feel that in the interview. The one thing that I want to address is the comment that some people have made that MGM has a fixed amount of money and they've decided to put it all into Stargate Universe instead. Mm-hmm. And you just got to say... That's comparing apples to oranges. First of all, Sci-Fi Channel, because this is a broadcast show, Sci-Fi Channel foots a lot of the bill for the production of the show. And second of all, it's apples to oranges because the television market is a completely different business model with a different profit model than the direct-to-DVD movie Mm. market. MGM takes on pretty much all the risk when they put out a movie like Continuum. Not to mention Fox. Yep. Interesting. Well, we'll have to see. Expect a brand new edition, in fact, the 15th anniversary edition, in high definition, of the original Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich film Stargate, heading to Blu-ray October 27th, including four hours of bonus material. We have the picture in the GateWorld news story here. It's uh, the pyramid, and 
the team on the hillside and they're being shot at by a death glider while they're standing there looking thoughtfully. <laughs> I just looked at it closely. I'm like, that's kind of funny. Well, I think the cover is pretty cool. I never really looked at it that closely. I think the cover looks cool. But yeah, you're right. I thought at first that the, the glider was shooting at the pyramid, shooting at the entryway, and no, they're being shot at. And they're yeah. kind of just standing there. The other thing is, <laughs> this is, uh, I don't know, the umpteenth release of the Stargate movie. They did the original, they did the special edition, the ultimate the edition. Fifth or sixth or seventh release. But this is the first one that says Stargate the movie on the cover. Stargate the movie is not put out by MGM. They own the rights to the to the concept and the characters. But Lionsgate is a different company. They actually own the the home entertainment distribution rights to the movie. This is the first time that they've put the movie on the cover to distinguish it from the TV show. Yeah, you know, I mean, the movie's a good movie, but to buy it for the fifth or sixth time, I don't think it's that good a movie. Well, it has new bonus features, so... Oh, yay! There you go. If you like the bonus features, this has the making of documentary and the Roland Emmerich, Dean Devlin commentary track that the previous releases have had. And then it has three new featurettes, uh, a trivia game, and a gag reel. I would love to see the gag reel from the original film. One thing that will not be coming out, at least not anytime soon, is David Hewlett's Starcrossed. This is a sci-fi comedy television series that he originally pitched to Sci-Fi Channel. Sci-Fi picked it up. They were going to make it as a half-hour genre comedy series and they changed their minds and decided they wanted to make it as a web series so david shifted gears um he's uh, uh written this thing so he's got you know different versions of of episode scripts and web series scripts and and they they finally decided that they're not going to make it so uh he announced on his website dgeek.com that they did give him the rights to it back so david owns it uh, David Hewlett, and he can can uh, do something with it in the future, hopefully. But in the meantime, he's going to move on to some other projects, which include his next independent film, Design of the Dead. Michael Shanks, Mr. Shanks, is returning to Stargate Universe in the latter half of the season. Is it human that he's going to be in? I believe it's human. It's filming right now. Directed by Robert Cooper, and he's going to be in it. It's the 14th episode of the new series. It's going to air in early 2010. Uh, And he's also going to be in air briefly, but uh, I think this is going to be a more expanded episode. I always love it when Michael Shanks comes back to play. It'll be nice to see how they do it. Gateworld Features. This past week, we published a short little review of Coveroos. This is a new cell phone or iPod accessory. Coveroo.com for the last several months has been selling uh, officially licensed Stargate Coveroos, and they sent me a couple of these to look at. Uh, So there's a little bit of a review on the site, and I'm looking at my BlackBerry right now, and I have the gate, little etched Stargate, on the back of my cell phone, and it looks really cool. It destroys your resale value of your of your phone if you ever intend to do that. Well, that's a nice little thing about Coveroos. If I can plug this thing, is is when you order it, you get the whole battery cover. So you are replacing your battery cover and keep the old one in your desk drawer. Ah, well, see, there it. you go. Just replace it. If they don't have your cell phone model, uh, you can mail in your battery cover and they'll do the etching for you. Interesting. But then, obviously, you don't have a, a blank one. We have a brand new interview with Stargate SG-1 Atlantis Universe executive producer Brad Wright. He does so much. He does so much, and he's going to be heading your way in interview form next week. It's a 10-minute piece, and we talk exclusively about Children of the Gods 
final cut, the rationale for why he decided to go back in and uh, redo it. We discuss a couple of things a little bit more in depth than uh, he did with Rick. The interview is mainly for people who have already seen it uh, because we do spoil a couple of things in there, but it is also for people who are considering buying it. Uh, that's one of the main reasons why I did this. So, um, and he takes a moment to address a couple of the criticisms that have come up since it's since it's come out. And as brief as it was, it was a very good discussion. In addition to revoicing Christopher's entire performance, yes, uh, we we edited it in such a way that it allowed Teal's changed to be far more organic. You can see his misgivings as to as to the goings on in Gould World much much sooner. Uh, and so it's less of a shock when he, go, when he throws O'Neill the staff weapon. It's not such a deus ex machina. It's, okay, this guy, this guy was sympathetic from the beginning. It's more fulfilling, too. Yeah. The threshold in, in season five, you know, you deliberately go back in and, and explain how Teal went from where he grew out of his, his feelings of resentment for the gold, but it's much clearer in this, in this version of the pilot now that this, this makes more sense. I toyed with putting that scene that I wrote in the threshold. You know, I was wondering if that was going to go in. I toyed with it, but it's not necessary. And I did, wanted deliberately to see how, because it was something that Brad Lyons and I talked about at the beginning of the editing process. Uh, I wanted to see how successful that was going to be, and I thought it was successful enough. It didn't need any further uh, material. In fact, it's a shorter movie. I, You know, if I had a lot of money... And I and I didn't. <laughs> if I had a lot of money, I mean, I would have completely rewritten the opening sequence. Wow! Uh, uh, and, and reshot it. I mean, uh, the idea of uh, the poker players. Yeah, I hated that, uh, and I was not uh, a fan of it at the beginning. The beginning of your show uh, should feature a bunch of, of people Strangers, who. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's going to be out in audio and text form next week. And next week after that, we're going to talk with Mr. Jonathan Glasner. Excellent. Yes. So you have the two show creators back-to-back SG-1 show creators. Here's another site feature. Also, uh, this past Monday, I published an editorial, an opinion piece, about uh, uh, this controversy about the upcoming Stargate Universe episode, Sabotage. There are some, some casting documents that have been floating around the interwebs that uh, a lot of people have taken various issues with. There's actually a lot of issues that are sort of intertwined. So some people take issue with with one particular aspect of of the information and others with a totally different aspect. Uh, It's it's been a bit of a brouhaha online, so I decided to weigh in. This week on the Screen Captures Gallery, we have launched SG-1 Season 6, which includes all the director's series from that season, and those are on the site now. And next week, heading your way... Uh, expect SG-1 Season 7 featurettes from the Region 1 DVD. Uh, and that's going to be in the Gate World Gallery soon. The Friday Five has returned. Last week we talked about cliffhangers on Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis. We've seen 15 seasons of To Be Continued. 15 seasons of finales and mid-season two-parters and major major aha moments, plot developments. When I first decided to do Friday Five for the summer, um, and it is a summer thing at this point, this was one of the ideas that I was I was thinking about first. So uh, I'm glad that a couple people actually reminded me um, this was requested by readers. Candace and Jordan had this idea as well. So my number five pick for the fifth greatest cliffhanger moment 
is the arrival of the Ori in Stargate SG-1 Season 9's Camelot. And this Friday, this is another good idea submitted by a reader, uh, we'll be looking at the most interesting of the minor Goa'uld. No system lords allowed. The main discussion. Tonight is open line night, which means we are taking your voicemails, we are taking your emails and forum posts, and we also have a couple of super special guests to bring on. Kevin Call is the executive editor and webmaster of FusedFilm.com. We'll meet him in just a minute. And then we'll have Gateworld Forum's Tammy Farrar, who we know and love. Family spending the rest of the summer here before we ship out for Scotland in September. And we got all moved out. Man, that was a pain and a half. You should be used to that by now. You move constantly. I move constantly, but I have a super superhuman, super-powered wife to help pack and load and clean. The cleaning, man, the cleaning. Once you get all that stuff out of your apartment, you've got to make it it sparkle. This time the wife was only able to help so far, and then she and the kids needed to just get out. We were not going to make any more progress until they left and went went Mm -hmm. home to visit uh, their family. While I finished the rest of the move with some very fantastic people, very fantastic friends was funny. I came back from this trip that we drove across country. It took us seven days to drive our stuff across the North American continent, put all of our stuff in storage, and then to drive home where we're staying with uh, the in-laws. And then when I got home and opened up GateWorld, I looked at it and there was nothing new on there except for the podcast. And there were two podcasts, weekly podcasts, next to each other for the first time ever. Not to say that you weren't working hard while I was gone. I was so miserable and so in trouble. (laughs) You were recovering from Comic-Con. So, since then, I've been busy, been cranking on the news, and it's been a busy couple of weeks. Yeah, cranking on the new Omnipedia that we have in development right now. We have the Stargate Omnipedia version 2.0 in the works. Yeah, we have a, a bunch of uh, worker bees working on that, or a couple of really, really strong, like, everlasting worker bees that are working on that one, and I yeah. can't wait to... Br- I would love to bring them into a podcast to tell us how they did that. That would be nice, especially after it's all done. So exactly. we have over 2,200 entries to bring in, and that doesn't even include the stuff that we still have to write yeah. in order to catch the Omnipedia up through yeah. the end of Atlantis and the two films. Let's get to some some uh, listener mail. We have a, a lot of good voicemail we do. this week. But first, here's a, an email from Tom. Tom listened to our previous podcast on Just War, and he says, Hi, guys. I finally got to listen to the June 3 podcast on Just War and Stargate, which has been burning a hole in my iPod, just waiting to be heard. I'm a trained diplomat who works for an international organization doing conflict resolution. But more importantly, I'm a huge Stargate fan. I just wanted to pass along how much I love the Just War podcast. He says, obviously in my line of work we deal with the real-life Just War questions and problems all the time. So the podcast was a nice mix of personal and professional interests. Also in the beginning of the podcast, when you put out your big disclaimer that Stargate is fiction and you're simply nerding it up by applying Just War theory to sci-fi... I just want to let you off the hook. Any efforts to get people thinking about the right and wrong ways to use force are always a good thing. I love Thanks, it when we get emails like this. You never know who's tuning in. Yeah. Chaos Knight 13 says, Should the rumors surrounding Cheyenne Mountain closing be true, and were you a Stargate writer 
Where would you place the new Stargate Command, and what kind of sci-fi flavor would you give the transition instead of a real-world Cheyenne Mountain is closing? Welcome to your new base. Darren. A lot of people haven't heard this. We reported, man, it must have been a couple of years ago that uh, the U.S. military decided to close the real Cheyenne Mountain where NORAD is located. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, in our wonderful fictional universe, below NORAD is Stargate Command. So I really like the idea of updating the show to accommodate for that fact. Uh, only because SG-1 is over and has been over for a few years now. If we're going to get a DVD movie every couple of years, hopefully, then uh, it's it's not as big a deal to me that we don't see Stargate Command all the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a new base of operations. Where would you move uh, SGC if you had the opportunity to select it? Um, I think that if we keep the Stargate program secret, I really love the secret underground military bunker vibe. So wherever you would have that, whether it's uh, New Mexico, whether it's uh, South Dakota, where (laughs) Warehouse 13 is set, I don't know. Mm. In another mountain? How about we move it back to Creek Mountain? You know, I gave this a lot of thought, and truthfully, you know, when you look back over the episodes throughout the show, I was just watching Reckoning a few weeks ago for the podcast, and Harriman comes over the comes over the speaker and says, "We've evacu- we're evacuating Colorado Springs within a five mile radius or whatever it is." You know, the first thing I would do, number one, I would do is is put the new base in a place where there are no people. Because yeah. when you have to evacuate civilians in order to protect them, Cheyenne Mountain is in a populated area. And when that Stargate blows up, you're going to kill civilians. Yeah, or things get out of the base, like uh, in sight in unseen. Agents. Exactly. Or Michello um, got out in yeah. Holiday. I would put, uh, it's silly. When you, when you really think of it that way, it's silly that it's there. And, and almost irresponsible, to put it there. When you have the options of Antarctica, um, now, now granted, bringing people back and forth would be difficult, um, but you know what? The amount of money that the Air Force spends on, on ferrying generals back and forth by jet and everything like that, I really, for saving lives, I would put it in a place where it will not hurt yeah. him. Yeah, there's an argument to be made for moving it closer to Washington, D.C., because there, in the series, there's a lot of flying back and forth from Washington. <laughs> Save all those air miles, eh? <laughs> Or you and Tammy talked recently about uh, whether the Stargate program should go public. Maybe the closing of Cheyenne Mountain is a good excuse or fits well with a future movie story to take the Stargate program public and set up something like the J.R. Reed Space Terminal, Mm -hmm. the public Stargate terminal that we saw in 2010. Speaking of the Stargate program going public podcast, uh, we have a couple of comments on that topic. Hi guys, this is Mythos from Newfoundland. I'd have to say the Stargate program being made public would be a good thing. Currently it can't be as forthcoming when you suddenly have this new magical drug or futuristic piece of technology. But by being public, you'd be able to trace it back to the original source. I do, however, see there being backlash from it, as not everyone is ready to learn that we're not alone. But I don't see it being so bad as it was in the road not taken. Hi Darren and David, this is Mark from Omaha, Nebraska. Regarding your question of should the Stargate program be public, my answer would have to be yes. And the biggest reasons for the publication of the program is 
we defeated our major bad guys, for one, the ghoul, the ori, and the replicators. But the greatest threat to Earth still exists through the ghoul infiltration of the trust. And as long as the program remains secret, there will always be a greater threat that will one day probably, in true ghoul fashion, try to take over the planet. There are still probably ghouls on Earth, and we're, we've never really made it priority number one to go after them. Yeah, it seems like somebody like the NID should be tasked with tracking down all the different connections with trust people and testing you for symbiotes. Hello, I'm Colin from Minneapolis, Minnesota. In the episode Bad Guys, when the team figures out they can't dial home, Vala says all they have to do is wait for Landry to send a laptop with the dialing computer on it. Carter, in the pilot episode, explained that it takes three supercomputers to dial the Earth gate. So my question to you guys is, how big of a computer do you need to spin a gate? So Carter has this line back in the pilot that it took three supercomputers and and a bunch of chicken wire to MacGyver the Stargate uh, without a DHD. And yet, we hear in Bad Guys that apparently all we need is for Landry to send through a laptop and a power source and we can dial the gate out. What's going on? Not quite a generator, man. Is it just the power power supply? I'm not sure what it is, but you know, I mean, those all those machines in uh, Cheyenne Mountain, I mean, when it really comes down to it, those are BLUs. Those are blinky light units. They're there for show. <laughs> They're there because it's much better looking than blank rock slabs all along the walls. At some point, you just have to say, in the movie, it was Creek Mountain. In the show, it's Cheyenne Mountain. You can't get around it. <laughs> in 10 years, maybe that's just the technological development as we've gone from a room full of supercomputers and we've Macintoshed it all the way down to your power book. But what I don't get is the interface of a laptop with a Stargate. Are we to expect that Stargates are now USB compatible? <laughs> it's FireWire all the way. No. <laughs> That's a good question, though. It is a very fair point. Hey, guys. This is Jeremy Solo from Michigan. Uh, I was just wondering if you think it's possible for a Gould to take a Wraith as a host. And if so, do you think it would be any different from a normal Wraith? Could a Gould take a Wraith as a host? Yes. I would think so. What would said Wraith Gould be? Would he have wraith priorities or ghouled priorities? Maybe it's something that, that the symbiote could heal that need to feed. That's interesting. If it wanted to, it wouldn't necessarily have to. It's not necessarily a condition or disease. Well, wraith hunger is I would think a disadvantage. If you get captured or something and you need to feed, yeah. you're in trouble. I think there was a lot to that in the last season of Atlantis. Todd was seriously considering doing this this genetic therapy treatment because it would it would give him an advantage hi darren and david and tammy shirt and tie here again once more in ireland just a question for open line night with regard to the music used in the stargate franchise i'm a huge fan of the joel goldsmith score and i can assume that he's back for stargate universe but i wanted to know what your thoughts were on contemporary music and the use of such in the series i'm thinking of fragile balance uh, of an ending and also of Vegas and I'm wondering what part do you think contemporary music may have uh, in the upcoming Stargate universe it's a contemporary show so I can appreciate contemporary music it was pretty jarring the first time they did it in Fragile Balance I never noticed really mm. okay, I've I found always it kind of associated it with Smallville and teen oriented shows like yeah. Part 5 yeah WB CW shows. Who's dating who this week and who's mad at who this week? If it's done right, though, I won't even bat an eye at it. I think it'll be fine. 
you know, that was corporate synergy for for those WB shows. It was they were carefully selecting songs and and albums that they wanted to push from the Warner music label and using them on the Warner TV shows. Well, surprise, surprise. Yeah, sometimes they're better than others. Sometimes it's kind of forced and you've got, you know, the band makes a special guest appearance uh, while they eat stride gum. <laughs> sometimes it's done really well and there's there's some great music to pick from. In Stargate, because they do it so rarely, I find it jarring. Um, but I, I also like it once I get used to it. Some of my favorite elements of Unending, which Shirt and Tie mentioned, are, you know, like the CCR, CCR song. The way that that illustrates things like Mitchell's turmoil and rage at being cooped up and losing his life, basically, to this ship. Hey, this is Becky in Los Angeles. Uh, for Open Line Night, I wanted to ask you guys how you felt about the various Stargate novels that have come out over the years. Uh, there are quite a few, starting with the, the series of books that expanded on the movie. Then uh, the first four SG-1 novels published by Rogue in 99 through 2001 uh, next came Pandemonium, which has since published, I believe, 13 SG-1 novels and 11 for Atlantis. And uh, most recently, there have uh, been a series of audiobooks released from Big Finish, uh, all read by the cast. So my questions are, have you read any of them? If so, what did you think about them? Uh, if not, why? And overall, uh, are they of value to the franchise or just glorified published fan fiction? <laughs> I've read a ton of uh, tie-in media over the years, and typically television tie-ins tend to be mediocre at best. Uh, the Rook books were definitely the epitome of bland and really disappointing. Uh, it didn't feel like the author knew anything about the universe and was just you know, given three episodes to watch and sent off to write. When Sandemonium began publishing, I was skeptical, but I still shelled out for the first SG-1 book, which at the time was pretty expensive as they were published in the UK. Um, I can't really speak for the Atlantis books as I've only read a few, but I love the SG-1 books. Uh, some are better than others, obviously, but overall I enjoy the fact that they're written by fans who, generally speaking, know what they're talking about. Uh, they know the characters and they love the characters like I do. So I, I definitely always look forward to new releases by them because for a few hours, they give me a little piece of early SG-1 back. I have not read any of the Stargate novels, and every time I go to Barnes & Noble and see them on the shelf, I wish that I had the time, because I've heard good things about uh, some of these, like uh, Cost of Honor, that two-parter yes. that, uh, that picked up on the lost SG team uh, at the black hole from A Matter of Time. I wish I had time. Some of them are glorified fan fiction. Some of them really are. I mean, I'm reading it, and it seems like this author, all they wanted to do was was shout out a special scene between uh, two of the actors that uh, that there was, like, a, a wink-wink and a nudge-nudge at the end of that, and then they create this whole arc in the book about, oh, what did you mean by that? You know, and it, it, it seems forced. But others are just strokes of pure brilliance. So, you know, it, it, like any book, you know, it, you're going to have to pick it up and check it out. Yeah, I've heard the, that story that Becky tells about the author of the ROC Rock novels, the first the first few SG-1 novels that they did before Fandemonium picked up the license. And I've heard stories like there's a reference to Samantha Carter as Amanda Carter, and that's just cringeworthy. That's what you guys thought what we should talk about for Open Line Night. Now let's bring in a special guest. Our first guest tonight is with Mr. Kevin Call, and Kevin runs his own website, FuseFilm.com, 
I met him on the roof of the Hotel Salomar at this past uh, San Diego Comic Con for the SGU launch party. And he says that he's a big fan of our show and wanted to come on. So he's on. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. This is a, like an honor to be on the Gate World podcast. I hope that you're not disappointed by the end of the night. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I will be. I, I really don't. Uh, you, guys are, you guys are really good, and uh, I really enjoy almost every episode. So Almost, almost every, every episode. I love that. Yeah, I don't blame him. How long have you been doing Fused Film? Oh, let's see. Um, a little over a year and a half. And uh, I started it when I was uh, unemployed after I graduated college and uh, wanted something to do uh, that wasn't just sitting around waiting for an interview. And uh, I really enjoyed writing. I really enjoyed talking about movies and television. And so I started my own little personal website, and it eventually evolved into FuseFilm.com. Movies, television, I mean, that entire interest industry is kind of your domain. That's such a broad base. You know, and the only way that I think GateWorld has really been successful is because it's been so niche. Uh, sure. How do you divvy up the the, prior, the her priorities, the responsibilities? How do you know what to write about and what not to? Or is it just a matter of, I like that, I'm going to write about that? I think it's a combination of those things. I think a lot of it is, A, just things that I enjoy writing about. So there is a lot of fanboy-centric material that's on the website, um, a lot of superhero films that we talk about. Uh, a lot of the geek-centric uh, shows, so that's that's kind of our primary material. But there's other things that I enjoy writing about that isn't that, and that's the stuff that I'm actually learning about. There's a lot out there that uh, I never had a chance to experience and never really wanted to until I started this website. So it's opened up some some eyes and some ears, and and uh, has allowed me to to and experience some stuff. And some rooftops. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the coverage on Fuse Film is is really broad. I mean, David said we're really niche, obviously, just doing Stargate stuff. But sure, this has you know not just sci-fi and fantasy and fanboy comic book coverage on it. Fuse Film runs the whole gamut. I mean, I'm looking at a story right now for Brewster's Millions. Yeah, that was actually one we ran today, and it's so funny because uh, I mentioned that the other day to somebody. I'm like, you know, with all the remakes in Hollywood, I'm surprised they haven't decided to do Brewster's Millions. I mean, it's <laughs> it's that lowbrow comedy that, I mean, that would just be perfect as a remake. And then, sure enough, I wake up this morning, and it's nice. all over The Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> I got to meet David at, at the MGM party at Comic-Con, and, I mean... We got to hang out with the Stargate cast. I never expected to be able to do that, and that was that was so cool to me. Yeah, you'll so, get used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I will be. But you know, it's 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 fun, and I love it, and it's becoming more and more of a passion, and it's expanding into various other projects that um, I, I'm I'm becoming passionate about. So uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean, I, I'm going to continue doing it until I guess I get tired of it. So. Have you been a fan of all the uh, incarnations of Stargate? Uh, and do you expect to... Well, I mean, obviously, you were invited to this party, so you're planning on watching this one and enjoying it as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think we talked a little bit about it at the rooftop when, when we weren't being thrown around in different directions trying to talk to people and, and stuff like that. And one, I remember one of the things you asked me, uh, David, was what did I think of Stargate Atlantis? I was a big fan of... SG-1, I mean, I, I found Stargate when I was a senior in college. Uh, a buddy of mine had all the seasons, 
on DVD, and I had watched syndicated episodes randomly um, late at night on television, but never had watched the show from beginning to end. So I started watching Stargate SG-1 and just fell in love with the whole adventure aspect, the witty dialogue, the the, the team. It had kind of an A-team feel, but it was like in space, and that to me just was, was so cool. A-team in space, I like that. I was a fan already of the movie. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies that my father and I watch all the time. And, and so it's, um, you know, I was already a fan of the film, so when I saw SG-1 in college, and I, I mean, I, I literally didn't go to class for a month. I, I knocked out, uh, I think at the time it was eight seasons of SG-1 on DVD. And, and then I fell right into season nine when it started, and just loved every minute of it. And, and then Atlantis, I, I started watching the DVDs, and, and I liked Atlantis. I didn't love it. I thought Atlantis had so much potential to be this just completely new, um, different version of Stargate and really expand. And uh, it almost was like they were trying to do the same thing with that they did with SG-1. They were trying to, to repeat um, characters and storylines. And it seemed to me they never knew exactly what they wanted to do with, with the show and the concept. And it just I think was that's kind of it there. right there. You skipped college to watch SG-1? <laughs> I didn't skip college. I just didn't go to class. <laughs> <laughs> ah, great distinction. <laughs> I had a marketing teacher that called me one day, and he's like, Kevin, you haven't been to class in a while. Is everything okay? Are you, are you ill? Is something wrong at home? And I said, oh, no, I just haven't really felt like going to class. And he, he goes, well, um, at least you're doing the work, so I guess everything's cool. you know." So, I mean, I was doing the work. I just didn't want to go to class. I, I'd rather sit and watch Stargate. <laughs> I just told David that he needed to watch the Defying Gravity pilot. But if it's going to get canceled, I'm not going to worry about it. Hey, you know, good shows out there get canceled. You watched Firefly eventually. Yeah. Because no one quit talking about it. I was just thinking around online last week and had not even heard of this show. And, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, kind of weird because I'm basically online looking at news for sci-fi television so this one flew in under the radar and i said oh it's on hulu i'll i'll go watch the pilot i watched it and i loved it it stars ron livingston from office space and um stargate fans are going to recognize christina cox is in it yeah uh, she's done several guest appearances on stargate laura harris is in it uh she was on dead like me and then did uh, the atlantis episode the game uh, and they're both major characters major cast members See, this is how I stumbled upon virtuality through Hulu. And that's another excellent pilot that got a, I mean, that got a no-go. Yeah. It's really disappointing. Yeah, but at, th- at least this one got an order for some episodes. Yeah, So, you true. know, maybe it's going to be 13 episodes and and it won't go anywhere else. Or maybe maybe they'll be okay with, with the lower ratings because it's a summer series and they'll just decide to do another 13 next summer. I mean, I'd be happy with that. I think they picked that up actually for 20 episodes or oh, more. Oh, did they? Um, yeah, they, they gave it a full season go, and I, I really think that ABC was really on board with it because, you know, they're I, I guess they're trying to find what their next Lost is going to be, yeah. and um, knowing that the last season of Lost is coming up. Man, and I hope this is it. I think Defying Gravity is a start, at least. I mean, it seems like it's in the shadow of, of other shows like Flash Forward and V, but yeah. I, have to, I have to commend ABC for being a very genre-friendly network right it now. really has been yeah since since lost premiered especially so check it out
That's what Open Line Night is about, is everybody plugging, promoting other shows. plugging non-Stargate stuff. Where are you from? I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, ah, but... I'm from Carbondale. Well, there you go. I'm actually near, near to Carbondale. I live in a smaller town, but uh, okay. everyone recognizes Carbondale. So. Yeah, I actually, my, my best friend, Larry Spears, who I went to college with, is from Carbondale. And, he, and actually, for all, you, all of your readers out there, this is very, a small world. Uh, David went to college with Larry's best friend, Nick Scovsgard. And um, Nick used to come to St. Louis all the time during the weekend to party with us and hang out. So it's just an absolute small world there. It is um, a smaller world than you think. Larry Spears is Asian, right? Yeah. I went to a children's choir with him for four years, sat oh. right next to him. <laughs> really? And he's your best friend? Yeah, he is, he is literally my best friend. Yeah. I grew up with him. That's... Ask him about me. He will know exactly who I am. How small of a world is that? That is very, very small. Who'd have thought? Um, <laughs> wow. So I know two people in your life. That's awesome and creepy at the same time. I had a friend in junior high named Larry Spears, but he was not from Carbondale and he was not Asian. No. Yeah. Not yeah, the same Larry guy. Larry had be the same dude. bowl cut and his dad uh, taught at Johnny Logan College. Yeah, uh, he was he a still? biology professor. Uh, yep. I think he still does. I think he still Dr. teaches. Dr. Larry that. Spears and yeah. son Larry Spears. That's correct. Oh, my God. That's so awesome. Did he play piano at all when, when you guys were in the choir? The only thing that he and I did was get in trouble. Oh, that's cool. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely cool. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you guys working on at Fused Film right now? What's the big next thing? Oh, man, that's a that's a is very it, interesting question. Is it just kind of the daily grind covering the news? Well, I think that's always the big priority is, is covering the news, what's out there. Um, I'm in the process of kind of reevaluating some of our current features and some the ones that I want to keep and the ones that I kind of want to bury and, and see where we want to do with them. And so there's that. We're in the process of uh, building a new podcast, trying to uh, figure out a really interesting way to have a new podcast that extend our broad coverage, as well as being entertaining and uh, insightful and things like that. This is full-time work for you now? You're not looking for a job on the side anymore? I actually run this website on the side. I actually do have a full-time job. I am a marketing public relations coordinator. It's the world's largest single-owned Wendy's franchise, meaning that um, they are a franchise of, of Wendy's old-fashioned hamburgers. Uh, we own about 100 restaurants uh, in the South, and uh, I do marketing and public relations for all the 100 restaurants. All right. And, um, but they are single-owned, meaning it's still a mom-and-pop operation. It's uh, There's not a... A corporate entity that owns, you know, like it's not like a shareholders or anything like that. So it's just a husband and a wife, and um, so that's what I do. And Wendy's is delicious. I, I, I am a fan, actually. I think that. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Wendy's yeah. got me through the last three years of school. There you go. Yeah. That was all we had. I've been doing GateWorld on the side for for years and years with a full time job, and then as a full time student. So. I know exactly what you're doing, what it feels like. And that's one of the things I'm actually looking into going back uh, to school and uh, getting my master's degree. So there's there's that that I'm trying to work out on the side. And I just, you know, I, I've hit two years at my current job. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the website's a year and a half. Actually, the website's almost two years old. And it's figuring out where I go from here. I'm only 24. So I'm not in a rush, but I'm in a rush because I don't want to hit cruise control. And then I wake up one day and I'm 38 and I don't know what I'm going to do. Looks like you're on track. Well, Kevin, thanks for your time. It's not a problem. Appreciate Listen, it. I appreciate you guys having me. And um, thank you so much to your readers. And um, I want to say hello to Morjana if she listens to the show. Um, She's always been a big supporter of Fuse Film when we write something on Stargate. So I appreciate her, and um, I appreciate you guys. So thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kevin. And we want to make sure to talk to Tammy before the show is over. Let's beam her in. Welcome, Tammy. Yay, I'm the icing on the cake. How's that? That's right. Yeah. yeah so Saving I the best for last. Yeah. Well, I told Darren I had, you know, you know. Most I could do is give a shout out to my four fans. You're up to four. Four now. Let's count them. One, two, two three, four. If I would have known that letting you guest host was going to have that effect, I might have chosen someone else. Now it's going to go to your head. <laughs> oh, that's all right. My ego's already humongous. It, it, it slides right in. But I was thinking, what can I talk about? And it's like, and I thought, well, shoot, what do people do when they're waiting and waiting for for all their shows to come on? It's like you they catch up on everything. Yeah, that you have it, and that's what uh, it was funny. I was talking with uh, some other people uh, in the last few days of what have I been watching, and I'm you know catching up on all these shows that I haven't seen. Because you have set shows that you watch. We hadn't seen the uh, Fringe, and so now we're we're catching up on all of that. And I've never seen Burn Notice. Mm. So, and I'm starting for I started from season one, and I'm now up to season two. I mean, because I'm just totally hooked on that. Heroes season two. It's staring at me inside its packaging from mm-hmm. across the room here. And I was at Walmart today, and on the banner was Heroes season three coming to DVD. So I'm really far behind. <laughs> yeah, that's just a few oh. weeks away. Heroes season two. You need to burn through that like you're ripping off a bandaid. You know, yeah, that's what I've heard, and that's just why I'm not engaged in in watching well, it because I, I know as soon as I start, it's gonna be like a long trudge till the end of it. Well, and I told David I swore I wouldn't watch Heroes. Or is it Heroes or Lost? Lost. Lost, I'm not going to watch until the show is done and David's bought all the DVDs. Well, you may have to have a Blu-ray player at that point because if once I buy rebuy the show, it will be on Blu-ray. Hence the point, rebuy. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. Then you'll you know I'll go over and do puppy eyes and have you sell me what you have in a discounted rate. Yeah, I'm gonna sell those in order to buy the other one. <laughs> oh, okay. So they're what my discounted rate. Yeah. Yes. We'll see. Like five and six, I'm not going to buy on DVD. So. Well, wouldn't have those anyway. Man, I have seen more NCIS in the last week than I have in my entire life. My oh, in-laws my. eat, oh. drink, and sleep it. Wow. Do you like it? That's okay. Um, I like, as far as procedurals go, I've always been a CSI man, and NCIS is definitely a little bit softer and uh, more lighthearted. We were just talking about ABC's new show, Defying Gravity. I met and did a short interview with Laura Harris a few years ago, and ever since then I've had a mild crush on her. She was on Dead Like Me. She's the blonde girl from Atlantis's The Game. She's a sweetheart, and she's from Vancouver, so she's a Pacific Northwest girl. Like, I'm a boy. (laughs) (laughs) I loved where that was going. We're keeping it in chunks. Course correction. She's a Pacific Northwest girl like I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
before the operation. <clears throat> if you'd like to, I can give you my voice because that's deeper than both y'all's. So. Ah, uh, yeah, you would definitely be a baritone. <laughs> when I project more, I sound more like a guy. But when I talk softer, I sound like a 1 900 number. <laughs> so, you know, which way do I go with this? Well, that's Tammy Farrar, everyone. <laughs> yes, thanks for coming, Tammy. <laughs> Thanks for having the last word. Well, thank you for letting me be part of it, even though I didn't really have a whole hell of a lot to say. Thank you. That's okay. Welcome to the West Coast, Aaron. Thank you. Special thanks to Kevin Call and Tammy Farrar and everybody who called in and wrote in for this week's Open Line Night. This will be the last one that we get to do this summer. We've got a few more topics, and then we're rolling right into Stargate Universe. That's right. Next week, we're back to Stargate History. Again, we're going to do those about every other week to make sure that we get through SG-1 before Universe premieres. So we're talking about Season 9. So this week's question is... What is your favorite episode from Stargate SG-1 Season 9, and why? You tell us, and then we will tell you. That's right. You can give us a call on the hotline at 616-712-1647. Or please write to us in the podcast feedback thread in GateWorld Forum. Voicemails are always better to listen to as we got so many great ones this week as you they make for a more fun podcast for you to listen to, even if you don't like hearing yourself. So just call anyway. Suck it up. More voices break up the day. And then September 2nd, this is a, a good topic that we talked about last week. What do fans owe the show? If anything, week after next two weeks and then september 9th we'll come back and finish up the sg1 television series with season 10 and then we'll be sure to move on to arc of truth before september is over that's with this week's show it was a big one we had two guests instead of three which we did for the 50th and it still ended up being a big show so tune in next week we'll continue our sg1 history marathon Right on. We also gave you that preview of our interview with Brad Wright. That'll be up at GateWorld in just a few days. And if you want links to any of the episodes or characters that we talked about, uh, in addition to all the news stories, all the handy links are in the show notes, episode 56 at GateWorld.net. So from GateWorld.net, this is David. And this is not David. And we'll catch you next week on the GateWorld Podcast. Podcast.